Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Welcome to Sack in the Box. I'm Matt Verderam, and we have a great show for you this week. We'll talk about the Jay Cutler signing and whether the Dolphins made the right move. We'll also speak with Peter Bukowski, formerly of SI and now NFL freelance writer, getting his thoughts on various topics around the league. And then we have a double dose of Josh Hill, who both gives us the inside slant on his Buccaneers, along with making his weekly dying on this hill prediction. And finally, I'll go in-depth on the Jets and tell you why they actually deserve credit. But let's start this week off with Jay Cutler and the fact that he's coming out of retirement to play for the Miami Dolphins. First things first, Ryan Tannehill, he will have surgery at some point here on his knee to repair this ACL that he partially tore in December. It hasn't been officially announced yet. But you don't go out and get Jay Cutler if you think Ryan Tannehill has any shot of playing at some point this season. The Dolphins screwed this up from the jump because he should have had surgery back in December and he likely would have been ready to start the season. That doesn't happen. His knee falls apart on Thursday. Non-contact injury, always the worst kind of injury. And now Jay Cutler comes in and he sees a familiar face in head coach Adam Gase Gase being his offensive coordinator in 2015 with the Bears. My opinion is that the Dolphins are not better off with Cutler than they would have been with Tannehill, which has been suggested both locally and nationally. Cutler has played 11 seasons in the NFL, and only one time back in 2008, his last year with Denver, did he throw for more than 4,000 yards. Ryan Tannehill has mostly throughout his career had no offensive line and very few weapons. And he's thrown for 4,000 yards twice in a season. Now, that's not the end-all be-all, of course. But Tannehill's underrated by most NFL metrics. He's not going to be looked upon as a franchise guy, but I don't think Jay Cutler was really ever a franchise guy. Both were first-round picks. Both came out of SEC schools, Cutler going to Vanderbilt. You wonder, though, what is the point of bringing in Jay Cutler for this team? 
right now. He's 34 years old. He's coming out of retirement. Everything we've seen on social media suggests he was very much retired. I don't think Cutler makes the Dolphins any better, even if they would just insert Matt Moore. Because Matt Moore has chemistry with these players. He's been in this offense now for a couple of years. He's used to throwing to Jarvis Landry and Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills. Cutler has no chemistry with this group. And this isn't March. This isn't April. He's not going through the whole offseason program. The NFL season is a month away. Preseason games start this week. I don't believe that Cutler's all of a sudden going to come in riding on a white horse and magically make the Dolphins his contender. Why? What suggests that? Cutler is a guy who in his entire now 12-year career has been to the playoffs once. And he's played for some pretty good coaches. Lovey Smith isn't going to the Hall of Fame. He's a good coach. He played for Shanahan in Denver. Mike Shanahan is a borderline Hall of Fame coach. He's played with some real talent in his career. And he's gone to the playoffs once. And he's been part of two winning seasons. He's won one playoff game in his entire career. You could say, well, part of that is he wasn't on great teams. Well, he was on some pretty good ones in Chicago. He sure as heck didn't elevate them. So I have real, real questions as to whether or not Cutler even makes Miami a team that should get back to the playoffs again after their wild card exit a year ago. Moore has been with the Dolphins since 2011. And instantaneously, within three days of Tannehill getting hurt, the Dolphins said, you know... Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. But you're not good enough. We're going to go get somebody else, which that's their right. But I wonder what the impact of that message in the locker room is. From all accounts, Matt Moore is a professional. He's very well liked. How does this play the guys who have been his teammate for years, especially when look, you're not bringing in you know, Peyton Manning, you're bringing in Jay Cutler, who is an average quarterback and who has a well-deserved reputation for being very prickly, very disliked by most of his teammates. Cutler also has injury woes almost every year. Last year, he played six games. He had a thumb injury, a shoulder injury. He has not played a full 16-game regular season since 2009. Almost a decade ago. Most of the people that support this move feel like Cutler is the right guy because he played under Gase in Chicago and had a really good season. And some people talking about it as though it's been this, this wonderful campaign that he had. Look, that year, he threw for 3,659 yards with 21 touchdowns and 11 picks. 
He was basically Alex Smith without the rushing yardage. That year's okay. If you're surrounded by a really good team, sure, maybe you win 11 games with that. You're surrounded by what he's surrounded with in Miami with a lackluster defense and a questionable offensive line. You're probably not cracking 500 with that line. You need to do more than that. Ultimately, signing Cutler, even if he has a really good year by his standards, which the fact that he's coming out of retirement would really worry me, but let's say he has a great year. Let's say by his standards he throws 4,100 yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 picks. That would be the second best year Jay Cutler's ever had this career. What is the ceiling for Miami? You're the wild card team that gets hammered by Pittsburgh or Kansas City or Tennessee or Oakland because Miami's not as good as any of those teams. The Dolphins made the playoffs last year beating up on a bunch of bad teams. They got to the playoffs and they got absolutely schlacked at Heinz Field by the Steelers. I think that's probably their same ceiling. Even if Cutler plays at the best of what you could reasonably expect, that's probably all they can do. And that's probably the exact same ceiling they had with Matt Moore. So why upset the apple cart and bring in a guy who you don't even know how committed he is when you could have just kept Matt Moore and rolled with him and gone that way? And look, if Matt Moore didn't play well and your team goes 5-11, and 11, then great. Then you got a top 10 pick. Maybe you get Tannehill's replacement. He's 29 years old, contracts up after the year. And you could certainly make the argument that you're better off if you're the Dolphins going 5-11 and 11 than you are if you're going 9-7. and seven. Because as long as Tom Brady and the Patriots are in that division, no chance. The absolute best you're doing is a five seed. And okay, listen, you're, it's about winning. You want to make the playoffs, but let's just be honest about something. You're the five seed and your quarterback is, is Jay Cutler, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're going to be picking you know, 23rd in the draft and not solving any of your long-term problems. And by the way, last year, here are the wins that the Dolphins had. They beat the Browns in overtime at home. Should have lost the game. I believe the Browns that game is three field goals. Beat the Steelers. That's an impressive win. Beat Buffalo by three points at home. Beat the Jets by four points at home. Beat the Chargers, who were ravaged with injuries, by a touchdown. Beat the Rams in a miracle of a comeback by four points. Beat the Niners at home by a touchdown. Got blown out by the Ravens, lost by 32 points in December. Beat the Cardinals by a field goal. Beat the Jets. Beat the Bills in overtime. If you go through that list and count them up, they won one game against a team with a winning record, who they then saw in the playoffs and lost 30-12. to 12. I would understand this Cutler move more if the Dolphins were a real honest-to-God contender and just felt like, you know what, we don't think Matt Moore can get the job done, but maybe if Cutler just reaches back in that fountain of youth and finds something that, frankly, he's never shown, maybe. That's not the case. And I think the Dolphins are making a mistake. And frankly, I don't think Cutler's going to last 16 games because nothing in his history says that he will. And then you are turning to Matt Moore, to a guy that you've publicly said, hey, we have no confidence in. It's a rough spot. It's a rough spot for the Dolphins. And to talk about more, 
Dolphins Cutler conversation. We welcome in Peter Bukowski. Peter, formerly of SI and now a freelance writer for a bunch of different outlets, including SB Nation and FanRag Sports. So, Peter, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Thanks for having me. So I led the podcast by talking about Jay Cutler and what he brings or doesn't bring to the Dolphins. What is your opinion on what the Dolphins get with Jay Cutler? Well, uh, where to start? Um, I, I think the, the the number one thing, the number one reason to make this deal if you're the Dolphins is the familiar the familiarity with Adam Gase. I, I think there's there's no question when you look at the names that have been reported out there that the Dolphins were interested in, whether it's Kyle Orton, Tim Tebow, Brock Osweiler, uh, and Jay Cutler. They're all people who have familiarity with Adam Gase and his scheme. It's clear that the Dolphins wanted that kind of person. They didn't want to remake the offense, which is probably something they would have had to do with Colin Kaepernick. Um, And so if you're the Dolphins, Jay Cutler brings high variance. And that's just who he is. It's what he is. But when Adam Gase um, basically did the job that got him the head coaching gig with the Dolphins, is he reined in Jay Cutler a little bit and he he flattened some of that variance. And Jay Cutler had one of his better seasons or at least one of his more efficient seasons um, with Adam Gase. And so he's not going to ever be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. And we know that and we shouldn't expect that. But this is the best scenario he's been in him being Jay Cutler in terms of skill position players. The offensive line in Miami is solid. Jay Ajayi is a potential star running back, and the receiving group is really, really good. So we could see Devontae Parker's best season. We could see another, you know, 80, 90, 100 catch year from Jarvis Landry. We're going to get deep shots to Kenny Stills. This offense can be very good because Adam Gase is a very smart coordinator, but also because Jay Cutler can run this offense. We know he can. He's just probably going to make mistakes. He's still going to have two interception, three interception games. He's still going to, you know, mope and pout. And, you know, that's the reason why I advocated for a different approach. I thought that the, the smart thing for them to do would be to go and try and trade for a young quarterback, someone that they could audition uh, for a year to play behind um, or to play and replace eventually Ryan Tannehill, who I'm not sold on. I don't know how you feel about Ryan Tannehill, but if he's my quarterback, I, I don't feel great about where my offense is going, but he's fine. He's in that middle tier. Yeah, I, I like, I like the, I like the move of trying to go get uh, Brett Hundley, AJ McCarron, maybe see what the Patriots want for Jimmy Garoppolo because you have a full year probably for him to audition. And if he's good, you can cut Tannehill with, with minor salary cap ramifications and have a, a potentially another year. If it's Brett Hundley, for example, of team control at a reasonable price. You know, I agree with you with Tannehill. I don't think he's a franchise guy. I also think the Dolphins, whether they start Tannehill, Matt Moore, any of those guys you just mentioned, Jay Cutler, their ceiling is the same. It's the five yeah. seed in the AFC, and it's probably getting waxed in the first round. Do you disagree? Do you think that Cutler coming in, do you think it shakes up their the AFC playoff race or their chances no. in the AFC playoffs at all? No. Okay. And, I, and I don't think they're any closer to, to being a contender than they were before. In some ways, I think they're further away. I, I think if you had had Ryan, a healthy Ryan Tannehill, 
if you're a Dolphins fan and you're creating a best case scenario, the best case scenario is in year two with Adam Gase, um, they're going to take a big leap forward. And Tannehill is going to make the jump, and Devontae Parker is going to make the jump, and we're going to see another step forward from Jay Ajayi. Now you're robbed of that potential. And we know what Jay Cutler is. We know what he looks like. And obviously Matt Moore is Matt Moore. <laughs> and, you know, he's going to give you only what he can give you. And, again, this is this is why I liked the idea of, of testing out a young a young quarterback because you're not a contender. So who cares? You're not throwing anything away. You're losing potential development with Tannehill, but why not try and develop someone else in the meantime? This is just this is a, a maintenance of the status quo in Miami, which, you know, as you said, is the five seed maybe. I mean, I don't think they're one of the five best teams in the AFC, do you? No, I don't. I, I actually, in the intro to this, was talking about they're clearly not as good as New England, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Tennessee, and maybe Oakland. I'm, I'm not as high on Oakland as some are, but I think those five teams in the AFC are probably pretty clearly better than the Dolphins. And I would make the case the Colts are going to be better than the Dolphins this year. Could be. Could Depending be. on who the who's the quarterback in Baltimore, I think the Ravens could be just as good, if not slightly better. If you know if Flacco misses a month only, and and stops being the Joe Flacco we've seen the last year plus yeah. <laughs> two years probably. I mean that's that's another issue. I wrote about it today for Fanrag, and and it should be up. You know by the time your listeners hear this, the reality in the AFC is no one's that close to New England. I agree. So why, why are we making win now moves? What is the what is the upside? I, I How does think, it help? I think the only two teams in the AFC that have any chance in January of giving the Patriots a problem are Pittsburgh because of that offense, and Kansas City because Andy Reid in the defense. And frankly, I don't think either of them beat New England. I think Alex Smith is too much of a hindrance to the Chiefs. I think the defense, especially the secondary, is too much of a hindrance to Pittsburgh. But those are the only two teams I think have any real hope. Of if they played their best game of having any shot of beating New England, I don't think anybody else, obviously including Miami, could do it. I, if you're gonna if you're gonna build a case for another team, the case that you would make is that Derek Carr takes another step forward, and Oakland, you know, Khalil Mack just has an out of body experience the way that Von Miller did a few years ago against Tom Brady in the AFC title game, and 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 it happens that way. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, who who is positioned other than Pittsburgh and Kansas city to, to match up with the team that new England's built. I mean, how they were clearly the best team in the AFC last year and they got better. I, I agree. I, I think look, ultimately Oakland, I think the offense could score points. The problem with the Raiders for me, and I agree with you by the way, though, that Mac is the ty- type of player who could have six sacks in a game and just, just absolutely turn on its ear. But their defense just scares the hell out of me. I yeah. just, when I look at the Raiders, I say, geez, I mean, New England's going to hang 50 on them. There's no reason to think Oakland could stop them. I like what Tennessee's building, but I feel like Tennessee's a year away from being of that caliber where they could go in and, and really go on the road in a playoff game and, and challenge some teams. But, you know, I want to I move on to the other side of the, the, uh, the other conference, I should say. And there's been smoke on uh, Monday morning while we're recording this, that Ezekiel Elliott could be suspended within the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. We know there's been going an, an ongoing investigation. Assuming he gets some punishment from the league, what do you expect the ban to be? Do you think it'll be a couple of games? Do you think it'll be longer than that? What are your thoughts? 
My expectation is in that in, is like two games. Ultimately, even if it starts at four, you know, I think it, it could be the kind of thing where the, the league announces four, there's the appeal and it becomes two. I think that's probably the most likely scenario because, because right now it sounds like, you know, the, the domestic violence part of this is, is not the strongest part of the NFL's case at this point. Um, that it's sort of the NFL can make a case that there's now been multiple incidents and the, the NFL has broad latitude to just say, you know, the, the league's conduct policy is very vague and on purpose. Right. Uh, so that Goodell can just say, we don't like what you're doing. So here's two games, here's four games, whatever. Um, and so that can that can have serious ramifications for this offense because, Dak Prescott thrived in part because Ezekiel Elliott was unstoppable last year behind that offensive line. I think the offensive line is going to take a slight step back. I don't think the Lyle Collins transition to right tackle is going to be as seamless as, as some seem to think it will be. And if the running game just takes a slight step back, that could have ramifications for Dak and the passing game. And I already thought that this team in general was, was going to take a step back. So they could go from an 11 or 12 win team. If you lose Zeke for two or three games or four games, even now all of a sudden you could be a nine or a 10 win team and you're fighting for a wild card rather than fighting for a first round buy. Well, you know, you actually segue perfectly into what I was going to ask you next. And I agree. I think Dallas, Dallas and Oakland to me are the two teams I, I believe will regress more than anybody else this year for two reasons. One, I don't think either of them can play defense. And I, I think two, yeah. There were a lot of games for both teams last year that just were won in wild ways, more so the Raiders and the Cowboys to the Cowboys' credit. But if Elliott's out a significant amount of time, let's say it's four games, how much does that impact Dallas's chances of repeating in the NFC East? Because I think you can make a case the Giants are at least as good, if not better. I certainly think you can make that case about Philadelphia, although there are concerns about Wentz. And the Redskins, they're kind of still there. I don't know if you could say they're better after losing some key pieces. Well, let's say let's say he he's just out two games, okay? They've got the Giants at home week one, and they go to Denver. Those are tough games. Those are two, maybe the two best defenses in football, frankly. And to not have a super, you're you're probably your best offensive player at this point. I mean, Des Bryant hasn't been quite what we saw, you know, maybe two or three years ago in a couple years now. That would be that would be really tough to go to have to be going to Arizona in week three at, at 0 and two or one and one for a must win game against a good defense, a team that is going to be hungry to sort of put last year behind them. That's tough. I mean, they got St. or St. Louis. Uh, they've got the Rams in week four and then the Packers in week five. I mean, this 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 ski the season opens really tough. They've got one of the toughest schedules in football. They can't afford to lose their best offensive player for even even one or two games. You know, the last thing I want to touch on, and by the way, you know, Dallas, it, there's not been enough said that they had the easiest schedule in football last year, now playing one of the hardest. Um, going back to the AFC quickly, and then I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Luckily this year, we haven't seen a ton of significant injuries in training camp. Of course, Ryan Tannehill's dominating headlines, but other than the Chargers who just – can't seem to avoid injuries there haven't been too many but one that, that I feel has gone under the radar Will Fuller breaking his collarbone in Houston he's going to be out two to three months my guess would be he'll probably be on the pup list to start the year without him 
How limited is Houston's offense with teams being able to fully focus on DeAndre Hopkins? Because other than Hopkins, if Fuller's not there to stretch the field, I think that offense is in trouble, especially considering we're not quite sure yet who's going to be the quarterback. What are your thoughts on that situation in Houston? So I have a different perspective on this because I said coming out of the draft last year that I thought Braxton Miller would be a better player than Will Fuller. And I I was quiet early last season when Will Fuller got off to a hot start, but eventually he became the player that, that I saw in, in college. And I think he's sort of a, not even a rich man's, he's sort of like an upper middle class man's Ted Ginn Jr., I think he's a really talented deep threat who can't do much else for your offense. And I think Braxton Miller has more versatility. I think a season under his belt, another year at receiver is going to benefit him. And look, having a real quarterback, hopefully um, is going to help as well. I think Deandre Hopkins is an incredible offensive talent, but he needs help, right? I mean, you, you said it, there needs to be more out of this offense. I think Braxton Miller can provide that. Can Jalen Strong give them something? I don't know. Uh, they they need him to because the offense needs the help. And with the questions at quarterback, is it going to be Tom Savage? Probably to start. But I think we will get to Deshaun Watson at some point relatively soon. Um, and how much this offense has to do. The defense is going to be really, really good. They were a top five unit last year. They're going to be a top five unit this year, probably even better with J.J. Watt healthy or healthy-ish. How much does the offense have to do? I don't know. And I like Deontay Foreman in the backfield with Lamar Miller. They could just be a sort of, you know, pound it, play defense, and and on third and six get DeAndre Hopkins. That could be enough to win 10 games. You know, I said I was going to get you out of there on this, but I want to follow up real quickly. Sure. Deshaun Watson, all the returns have been that he's looked really good in camp, but we keep hearing that Tom Savage is going to be the guy. Now, Tom Savage is going into his fourth year. I don't think anybody expects Tom Savage to ever become more than, frankly, a competent backup quarterback. You look at their schedule this season. Their Thursday night game is on week three in New England for the second year in a row, actually. Yeah, brutal. It's not the Thursday game you want to play. Uh, Excuse me, actually. I I apologize. Their Thursday night game is week two against Cincinnati, and then coming off that, they have a 10-day layoff before they go up to New England and play them in week three. Their bye week is week seven, but they come out of that and they go to Seattle. So if Watson doesn't start the season as the starter, where do you work him in? Where do you get him in and maybe give him a little bit of runway? Because the two longer breaks that they'll have, the bye week and then that mini bye after the Thursday game, you're going into New England and then you're going into Seattle. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think what's going to happen with with the Deshaun Watson situation is similar to what happened with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. And I, I, I don't mean the what has happened in his professional career since then. The, the way that I mean it is the Jaguars said, we do not want to play Blake Bortles right away. We want to give Chad Henney the chance to win the job, and we want to give Blake Bortles the chance to learn. And I just think what happened there was Chad Henney basically took that decision away from the Jaguars coaching staff and Blake Bortles did as well because Blake Bortles was great in the preseason and they eventually just had to play him. Right. 
I think we're going to come up against a similar situation in Houston. Tom Savage is not very good. Now, DeAndre Hopkins genuinely likes Tom Savage, and that matters. But it only goes so far if he's not playing well. And so I think we could get to week one, and Houston just has no other options than to play Deshaun Watson. They open up with the Jaguars, so so maybe Savage looks good enough. But you're right. There isn't there isn't really a great opportunity for them to do it. Now, now five games in, they have some tough games. They go through a stretch where they play the Bengals, Patriots, Titans, and Chiefs all in a row. They could they could conceivably go one and three or zero and four in that stretch. They have the Browns in Week Six. Maybe after that Chiefs game in Week Five, you say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give Deshaun Watson a chance to run here. We're going, to give, we're going to go against the Browns, and then we're going to give him the extra week to prepare. We go to Seattle, and then the, the schedule, you know, it's not it's not really easy anywhere, but at least you go Browns and then the bye week before you get into the rest of your season. That would be a, a place that would make some sense if you're not going to give him the job opening day. I agree with you. I think you're right. I think looking at the schedule – yeah, the the open with Jacksonville, like you said, and then th- that is a brutal stretch at Cincinnati, mm-hmm. at New England, then home to the Titans and the Chiefs. Those, but you, you're right. Like no disrespect to Cleveland, but if there's ever a time to say yeah, let's let's work him in here and, and we should be okay, that might be it. That also might be the return of Brock Osweiler, which would be incredibly fascinating. Um, Peter, really appreciate you coming on. Everybody, go check out his work: uh, freelancing, Espionation, Fan Rack Sports. Uh, Great stuff, and definitely hope to be talking to you down the line. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much. So once again, thanks to Peter. Uh, great stuff, and I agree with him on a lot of those points, by the way. And I think with Watson, I do think of all the rookies, he clearly has the best chance of starting. I, I think he gives you something more than Tom Savage can, frankly, which is why they traded up and not only traded up 12 spots to get him, but traded a first-round pick next year. So... I think there's a real chance Watson starts week one against Jacksonville. I don't think Mahomes or Trubisky has any hope in hell of starting barring injury. But, you know, one team that I now want to segue to a little bit, talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who also drafted a first-round quarterback a couple years ago, James Winston, going into his third year. And I find the Buccaneers to be a really interesting team. Every year I try to identify two or three teams that I really believe could make a jump, could become a contender – and I think the Buccaneers and the Titans, who we talked about on last week's show with Russell Baxter, I think those are the two teams this year that I really see, and I know other people do as well, as being teams that missed the playoffs last year that could really become a force this year. And so this week, uh, as we said in the opening, we have a double dose of Josh Hill, the old double feature. Uh, he is from Minnesota, but he's a Buccaneers fan, and so I'm going to have him on, Then we'll get to his dying on this whole prediction later. But, you know, Josh, to start, last year – your Bucks went 9-7. and seven. We're in the playoff race right to the end. In the offseason, they pick up Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Wilcox, and then they draft O.J. Howard with a steal of a pick in the first round. What do you make of their current roster? I mean, trying to come in at, as, at it from as unbiased a standpoint as I can, I think that it's probably the best roster that they've had this decade. And, you know, that's not saying much when you go back and look at the old Raheem Morris and Greg Schiano years, the Buccaneers, it's not. So as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. 
Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So, tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush out for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. Good. But they really went out, and you were talking about the Titans, too. It's no coincidence that the two teams that are poised to make the playoffs this year both took quarterbacks 1-2 in 2015 with Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. And then those front offices built around their franchise quarterbacks. It's not a case like maybe we're going to see in Chicago where Mitchell Trubisky goes out there and he's basically a sacrificial lamb. You know, the Titans, they built around Mariota, and I think the Buccaneers even more so built around Jameis Winston. You saw that in the moves this offseason and in the draft offensive heavy they go out and they get Deshaun Jackson which could really open up the offense they draft OJ Howard who falls to them somehow in the middle of that first round it's gonna be a make or break year for Jameis Winston a lot of people said that was last year he came in they should have made the playoffs but you know they lost that game against the Rams and then they lost a game against the Raiders which they should have won in overtime so there are people in Tampa who are considering Jameis Winston a playoff quarterback because he did put together a season last year that very well could have got them to the playoffs. Now it's time to put it into action and actually get there. And from the offseason moves, that's what they're anticipating. You know, well, last year, I thought Winston, he had a good season. He threw for almost 4,100 yards, completed almost 61% of his passes, 60.8 to be perfectly accurate. 28 touchdowns, but he did throw 18 picks. Now, it was better than his rookie season by leaps and bounds. I think for the Bucks to really make some noise in the NFC, he's got to go from a competent quarterback to a star quarterback. And I'm not talking top five, but maybe be pushing on that top 10 barrier. What do you need to see from him in 2017 to feel like things are going in the right direction? I mean, it seems cliche, but he needs to get the turnovers in check. He was pretty awful last year. And there's some people that were throwing around stats where it's like Jameis Winston and Josh Freeman are lining up pretty evenly when it comes to turnover ratios thus far in their career, which is bold because Josh Freeman's not a good quarterback and Jameis Winston's a franchise player. But just his decision-making, we saw that, I mean, that comes with the turnovers because he makes these poor decisions and he forces the ball in. We saw him do that early on last season when his only passing options in his head were Mike Evans, Mike Evans, Mike Evans, and then throw the ball to the sideline. Now we saw later, we kind of talked about this last week with Cameron Brait. In the latter half of the season, he started to open up the field a little bit more. He started to become comfortable throwing to Adam Humphreys, throwing to Cameron Brait, finding a running back. You know, he, that's what I need to see more out of from Jameis Winston this year. And so far in training camp, it looks like that's what he's doing. He's spreading the ball around a lot more. He's thinking a lot more about what he's going to do with the football. And you think that that's kind of like, oh, of course he's going to think about what he does. But we've seen quarterbacks who can't process information under pressure or even process information at all in the pocket, and they end up making mistakes. Jameis Winston did that a lot his first year. He did it again last year, but not as egregiously. And now he's starting to get a handle on that. So if he gets his turnovers in check, that's going to be big time for the Buccaneers. And, I mean, he's got all the options in the world. So, if you know, Mike Evans isn't his only option. So we're going to get a complete season of Jameis Winston with a lot of targets to throw to on offense. And then, like, three or four running backs behind him, too. So this is the year, if there is any, for Jameis Winston to blow up. Everybody seems to focus on the offense. And certainly we have here first couple of questions I had for you. But the defense 
made really big strides under coordinator Mike Smith second half of last season. Over the first eight games, Tampa Bay allowed 29 points per game. In the last eight, that number shrank to 17.1, which if, you, if they could maintain that 17 points per game for the whole year, would rank second last year only to the Patriots. Do you think the Bucks can keep that up, or do you think that that's going to be something that is a little bit too much of an ask over 16-game season, and you expect them to slide back a little bit? I'm expecting them to carry the momentum that they had in the second half of the season into this season. You, Mike Smith tapped into something after that Atlanta game where they just got thrashed on Thursday night football. It was embarrassing. And I think that clicked with this defense. You know, Gerald McCoy has been very vocal, especially when he pretty much got called out by Rondé Barber for not being a personality like Warren Sapp or Simeon Rice or Booger McFarlane from the good old days. And he took it personally. He's like, all right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more, I'm just going to lay back and let the defense do this. We're just going to let everything gel. He wants to be aggressive. And we saw that, you know, against Seattle, where they only allowed, you know, five points against the, you know, Russell Wilson is what he is. But that was Seattle. This is a, a Super Bowl contending team that came into Tampa, and they, you know, really locked up on defense. We saw them do that, too, against uh, Atlanta earlier in the year. You know, it was a little bit more of a high-scoring game, but we saw a bit of that confidence in the defense and Mike Smith tapped back into that and he's had now this whole off off season to work with this unit he's brought in guys he's brought in you know ex ex players to talk to these guys to really uh, promote this culture and this defense is going to be good this year it's going to be a defensive led team that isn't going to have to worry about an offense hopefully that is turning the ball over a lot that is having to you know give up leads play back from behind so I'm really looking forward to seeing what this defense has. You know, Chris Conti's still there in the secondary. That's a question that I had last season where I would joke sometimes in the office, you know, we're only fielding, you know, nine players because you know, the two safeties aren't back there. There's still question marks in that regard to this defense. The defensive front's solid. The linebacking core, I think, is one of the most underrated. Quan Alexander is back there. You've got, you know, uh, Levante David, one of the best linebackers in football. That's a solid unit. Now, it's kind of like with the Jameis Winston thing about it all coming together. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, this, they look great on paper. You know, this unit's going to be really good. It needs to come together on the field, and that's what I need to see on defense. Last question about the Bucs. If they don't make the playoffs this year, assuming they're, they're relatively healthy, they, just, they don't play well enough to get in, how big of a failure is that in your eyes? Is it a continued development with just a little bit of a snag, or is it a major problem? And they might have to contract the franchise if that happens. Uh, no, if, if, that, if they miss the playoffs this year, it's going to be a disappointment just because everything's been set up, not only this offseason, but the last two seasons with Jameis Winston's development, with Dirk Cutter coming in. I mean, they went all in. I don't want to say on year three because year four could still be productive. But they fired Lovey Smith because they wanted Dirk Cutter to lead this team, to develop them into an offensive juggernaut behind Jameis Winston. You know, you look at the successful teams in the NFL, you know, you can easily throw out Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but you have a quarterback head coach relationship that works, that's successful, and that translates on the field, it translates to playoff success. So if that doesn't happen in year three, it is going to feel like, is something going wrong? Where do we need to plug the holes? Uh, the one, one thing that I could see happening is this is not a very deep team. They are very star-studded when it comes to the offensive talent. They have the defensive prowess to be good. 
But if, you know, Deshaun Jackson pulls his hamstring, if Mike Evans tweaks his ankle, they're one, two injuries away from being a team that, well, if that guy would have stayed healthy, maybe they would have had a good season. And then we're back to square one, essentially, with, well, it's next year. Jameis Winston's going to come into his own. So that's, that's my fear with this team is they're not deep enough to where they can endure an injury and then they're going to be fine. You know, so, you know, you saw that with your Chiefs. You know, Howard goes down on defense. They're still all right. They're not a bad team without him. Alex Smith goes down. Eh, you know, they, they, they might still be good. But if there's an injury to Jameis Winston, if there's an injury to Gerald McCoy, if there's an injury to a key player of this team, that might be like pulling out one of the Jenga pieces and then it's all coming down. That's my fear. But, you know, fingers crossed. That, that's, that's true of every team, you know, one bad injury away. Oh, that's true. I, I think your Buccaneers will make the playoffs. Although if they mm-hmm. don't, uh, since you and I run our NFL coverage here at Fanside, it'll be um, it'll be interesting to watch you as you slowly melt down <laughs> and eviscerate every player in the team. Slip but into insanity. <laughs> now we go to the second part of this double feature interview with you. And what is your dying on that hill prediction this week? I'm going with my gut on this one because it's really hard to look up offensive line statistics, I found. But the Dallas Cowboys... At the risk of, you know, crossing too many lines here, that offensive line is not going to be what it was last year. And I think that anybody thinking that, oh, Dak Prescott's going to come out, he's going to be behind this offensive line, Zeke Elliott's going to come out behind this offensive line, what is this offensive line? It's missing two players that were there last year that actually made it a little bit better. You know, you take a look at two new additions you could say new because one of them you know Jonathan Cooper is new and Lael Collins was there but he was injured last season those are two giant question marks on both opposite sides of the line it's not like you've got one side it's not like they're on the same side of the offensive line you got one at tackle one at guard those are key positions that Dak Prescott can't have pressure coming through on him and if Collins he looks like he's going to be a good player. He looks like he's going to develop into his own. But is that going to be this year? Is he going to take a step back? And Jonathan Cooper, can he be anything more than a traffic cone? Because he hasn't been so far since he's been drafted. You know, he was in Arizona. He bounced around all these, all these different places. And he's not been the first-round pick that he's supposed to be. So now I'm not saying that the Cowboys are going to fall apart and they're, they're not going to be the team that they were last year. They're not going to win as many games, I don't think. But I think if there's a regression in this offensive line, which is very possible given two key cogs are brand new, don't expect Dak Prescott, who is conservative and relied on Zeke Elliott a lot last year, if he has pressure on him and he has to throw the ball more than he did last year, if he has to throw under duress more, we could see more mistakes. And that all starts with those two new pieces on the offensive line. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out because Tyron Smith, the left tackle, he's a stud. Mm-hmm. He's, to, he's oh, yeah. on a Hall of Fame projection. Mm-hmm. And Zach Martin and Travis Frederick on the inside are beyond reproach. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about all pros. But Lyle Collins to me is interesting because he kicks out the right tackle. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at their schedule this year. The Cowboys play the AFC West. And if you look at the AFC West, you're talking about Khalil Mack, mm-hmm. Von Miller, Justin Houston, and they're coming off that right side, at least in Miller and Houston for sure. Mack moves around. You're also talking, by the way, about Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. And in their own division, with the Eagles, I'm not as high on the Eagles as some. The Eagles can get after the quarterback. Okay, Fletcher Cox is going to find his way against Jonathan Cooper. And you know, you're talking as well about a Giants team in that division who I'm not huge on the Giants offensively, but defensively, 
excellent front. Damon Harrison on the inside, Jason Pierre-Paul, Olivier Vernon. If the Cowboys line takes a step back, and if, especially if Ezekiel Elliott is facing any kind of a suspension, mm-hmm. that's going to that's gonna set them back significantly. So I'm, I'm curious to see, I, do you think – do you think that it's going to be something that keeps them out of the playoffs? Do you think it keeps them, you know, from winning twelve or thirteen games again? I mean, how how much of a hill are you dying on here with, in terms of <laughs> how much you expect them to regress? Uh, I don't think that they're going to miss the playoffs because of their offensive line. I think that they're going to be in situations where they otherwise would have won last year, and we're going to see that the holes are a little more glaring than they were. If anything, I'll die on the hill that it's going to affect Dak Prescott more than people think because already everybody's going not everybody but there's a significant portion of people who are already on the Dak Prescott MVP train I saw Mike Freeman at Bleacher Report interviewed a scout who said that he's putting Dak Prescott above Aaron Rodgers to win the MVP and it's like let's breathe a little bit before we go off with that especially when you have two offensive linemen who have giant question marks now they could end up being great uh, but pro football focus has Jonathan Cooper ranked as a 73.8 Jonathan Cooper's not good Lael Collins is ranked a 38 even. So just compare those two numbers as far as their rankings are concerned. Those are glaring holes on an otherwise very fantastic line, like you were saying. But, you know, Ronald Leary, he was really, really good for them last year. He came in and bailed them out. Not there anymore. He's in Denver. So there's just, it's kind of like what I was talking about with the Buccaneers, too, about the depth. As a team, the Buccaneers aren't a deep team, and they're a little bit dangerous as far as an injury is concerned. That Dallas Cowboys offensive line, it's not a deep unit. So if something happens, not even an injury, maybe this, just these two guys can't play, that's going to affect Dak Prescott. And Prescott has a lot of pressure on him. He's not a seasoned veteran. This isn't Aaron Rodgers in year eight. This is a second-year player who had success that nobody expected last season. And everybody who said, oh, what if the, the 49ers would have drafted Dak Prescott – because, you know, Chip Kelly wanted him. Could you imagine? Yeah, I can imagine him not doing well because that offensive line was terrible. This offensive line isn't terrible, but it's not what it was last year. So let's not expect Dak Prescott to have the type of year that he did. And like you said, with the Zeke Elliott stuff, whether it's an off-the-field issue, whether maybe he regresses a little bit in his second year, there's a lot of variables going on in Dallas. And to me, the linchpin could be Jonathan Cooper and Lael Collins and what kind of year that they have. Because if they're good, they're fine. If they don't, I just I don't see them missing the playoffs. I would say that the hill that I would die on is Dak Prescott's progress is stunted for a year until they figure this out again. Well, I'm curious to see how that hill plays out. I, I think Jonathan Cooper is a, a large concern. I, I think... You know, Jonathan Cooper in his career has had injury issues, and when he's been healthy, he's not been good. And so I, I agree with you there. Collins, we'll see how it all plays out, but uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how the Cowboys fare against a better schedule this year. I love their offense. I think you want to Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Talk about Dak 
Dez, Zeke, what is still left of a very, very good offensive line. Jason Witten is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. They're going to score points. I'm very interested to see, though, how things play out defensively. Um, before we go into our final thought, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. As we're recording this, uh, the Broncos have announced that Trevor Simeon will open up the preseason as a starter, and then Paxton Lynch will start week two. And there's an interesting tweet from uh, TJ Carpenter, who does uh, Denver radio out there, does a nice job. He says, the worst quarterback carousel I've ever seen was Danny Werfel and Shane Matthews in Washington back in 2002. The Broncos, Simeon, and Lynch carousel is worse. Um, that would that would not bode well for Denver. So I'm hoping that uh, Mr. Carpenter with a little bit of hyperbole, but in any event, look, that, that competition has not gone well in Denver. There's no two ways of it. We had Ben Albright on the show a few weeks ago, actually the first show we ever did. Now, ben knows what he's talking about, and, and he's reported multiple times that it's been, it's been bad. It's been really bad. Um, the Broncos have a very good defense, and they're going to need it if this is any indication because this offense, I, I don't care about Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. If, if you can't feel the competent quarterback in today's NFL, it's over. But uh, that's just just a quick note. Just wanted to just wanted to hit on that. And now we'll go to the final thought. And this week, I want to talk about the Jets. Everybody is laughing at the Jets because they're the worst team in football, and they are. They're going to be really lucky to win three games this year. I would not be surprised at all if they end up going one and fifteen. Uh, I think they're even going to push for zero and sixteen. Although I don't think that's going to happen. Mike McCagnan has been the general manager now for three seasons, and he deserves a ton of criticism because this is his third year, and this team has no talent, absolutely none, outside of the defensive line. Still, I think McCagnan deserves credit for not trying to put lipstick on the proverbial pig. So many teams in the NFL patchwork their rosters knowing damn well that they're no good and they're just trying to find a way to go 7-9 and nine and be in a playoff race till Thanksgiving. I give McCagnan a lot of credit for recognizing that this team is no good, that it needed to be torn down, and that the only way this team is ever going to improve is by hitting absolute rock bottom. And believe me, they're going to hit rock bottom this year. There's a good chance that Mike McCagnan's going to lose his job after this year. And he still did the right thing. Say what you will, that takes guts. He is in this position because he put himself there, and that has to be said as well. But it still takes guts to do what he's doing. So how did the Jets get to be this bad? Well, last week we talked about the Jaguars in this spot, and we said that part of the reason Jacksonville has been out of the playoffs since 2007 is because it has not been able to draft well. If you listen to this show, if you read any of my work, you know that I am very, very, very big on you must draft well to be a good team consistently. Any team can do it for a year. You can get 
lucky with other teams to face you maybe having injuries. You can get lucky with a good schedule. You can have the ball bounce your way. But if you're going to be good consistently, you better be able to draft because free agency is meant to supplement and implement a few players every once in a while. It's not meant to build your team with. The Jets got to this point because they have been hideous in their drafts. Outside of its defensive line, i.e. Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson, New York has not drafted a Pro Bowl player since 2007 when they selected Darrell Reeves. That is absurd. They also traded away so many picks in 2009 and 2010 that they had a total, a total of seven picks in those two years. Now, if you don't trade any of your picks and you just draft exactly as you would, you'd have seven picks each year. One for each round, obviously. The Jets had seven in 09 and 2010. Okay. And that was under Mike Tannenbaum and Rex Ryan, which you could argue, yeah, they were successful to a point going to a couple of AFC Championship games. But let's be honest, those teams had Mark Sanchez, a very limited ceiling offensively. And when they went and they played Indianapolis in the first AFC title game, they got hammered and they were blown out in Pittsburgh. They did make a comeback late, but didn't work out. That said, in, in those seven picks between 2009 and 2010, the Jets drafted Mark Sanchez, Sean Green, Matt Slauson, Kyle Wilson, Vladimir Dukas, Joe McKnight, and John Connor. None of those players are with the Jets. And frankly, Slauson is an average guard now with the Chargers. Everybody else, non-factor. Terrible picks. In 2014, the Jets had a whopping 12 picks trying to recover from five years prior when they decided that draft picks were going out of style and they decided to just move them all. Out of those dozen picks, Quincy Anunua and Calvin Pryor are the two best players, and they're the only two recognizable names. Neither of them is a cornerstone player. When you have 12 picks, you better hit on a few of them. The Jets missed, to some degree, on all of them outside of Anunua because Pryor is a first-round pick, let's face it. He has not lived up to his billing, okay? Anunua was a late-round pick. You could say that's a good pick, fine, fair enough. If there's a reason for McCagnan to take heat, it should be for that class above all else. You cannot miss that badly on a dozen players. You have to get a few guys who can give you something. McCagnan didn't get that, and he's paying for it right now. If you go through and look at their drafts, and by the way, I'll give you a few names out of that class. Jason Morrow, Dexter McDougal, Jalen Sanders, Shaquille Evans, Brandon Dixon, Taj Boyd, not getting it done. The two first-round picks before that in 2012, 2013, 2012's pick was Quentin Copels. And that's another class, by the way. Stephen Hill, Demario Davis, Josh Bush, Terrence Ganaway, Robert Griffin, Antonio Allen, Jordan White. That class is awful. That class is a complete washout. In 2013, two first-round picks. Sheldon Richardson was one. D. Milner was the other. Bust. Geno Smith in the second round. Bust. Brian Winters in the third round. Average player. Just not good enough. Not even close. 
Not even close. That's why the Jets are where they are, and that's why McCagnan's going to lose his job after this year, and he deserves to. And when you miss that badly in the draft, you're forced to sign expensive aging players. Think Eric Decker, Darrell Revis, Ryan Clady, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Matt Forte, Antonio Cromartie, so on and so forth. It was a disaster. Eric Decker turned out to be a pretty good signing for the Jets, but what did you win with him? Brandon Marshall brought him in. Brandon Marshall was a good player with the Jets, but he had a shelf life. He's older. Revis, second time around, the Jets was a disaster. Clady was a disaster. Fitzpatrick was very good one year and an absolute unmitigated disaster the next. Forte runs right now like he doesn't have ankles. And Antonio Cromartie, enough said. Enough said. At this point, the Jets are wise to completely and utterly tank. They're going to land one of the top picks in the draft come April. My guess is probably the number one pick. They might have that locked up with two weeks to go in the season. At that point, and I know they've got Christian Hackenberg and Bryce Petty, those guys aren't the answer. They're not even close. They're going to take either Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, or Josh Rosen. Okay. Allen out of Wyoming, a lot of hype, big arm, strong kid. Sam Darnold, some people think he's the most polished product coming out of college since Andrew Luck came out of Stanford. Josh Rosen has been a huge prospect all the way really since his high school days, went to UCLA. He's been up and down there, but the tools are clearly there for Rosen. And he's somebody who's going to tantalize scouts. He's going to be a top 10 pick, maybe top five, maybe the top pick. Whoever the Jets pick, they better be right. Because otherwise, all of this is for naught. And then you've got a quarterback who's no good, and you're stuck with him, and you just start this cycle all over again. But I still say New York is doing the right thing by just tearing this to the ground Because so many teams try to stay relevant, and in the process of doing so, they don't stay relevant. There's just another afterthought year after year. And if you don't believe me, look right across the way in the AFC East. Look at the Bills. The Bills have been mediocre for 20 years. They have not made the playoffs since 1999. Reason being, they never tear it down. They always tried to bring in veterans, sometimes very high-priced guys like Mario Williams, and it doesn't work. You look at the Bills, and it's just, it is a cornucopia of 8-8, eight and 7-9, eight, and nine, some years 6-10. and 10. But it's, it's never 3-13. and 13. It's never quite bad enough to get to where they've got to be, be in the draft. And so finish with this to summarize the Jets are in a to summarize I should say the Jets are in a dark place because they've had horrid drafts they've missed on free agents and they've had a complete and utter lack of foresight still they do deserve credit for recognizing their situation accepting it and going full speed ahead into it because a lot of teams don't have the guts to do it And they just want to sit in purgatory. And in the NFL, purgatory 
It's hell. It's just described as purgatory. I want to thank everybody for coming on. Peter Bukowski did a great job. Josh Hill with a double feature this week. We'll get back at it next week. Really appreciate everybody listening. Please, by all means, subscribe on iTunes. Give a rating unless you think it sucks. In that case, don't give it a rating. Be a good person. Uh, looking forward to seeing the preseason games this week. Sure, we'll only see the starters for maybe a quarter at most, but real football, folks, it is on the way. So thank you very much. I'm Matt Verderam, and this has been another episode of Stacking the Box. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.